Good morning, promise of victory. Hallelujah. It is a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day outside. It's a beautiful day inside. God's been good to us. I'm looking forward to preaching this word. I have actually been sitting on this sermon for several months. I knew I was going to end this sermon series with this message. Uh, this sermon series being, I'm better than this. And we've been talking about this. This is actually week or part 16. It took longer than 16 weeks because we had a couple of special things uh, in the midst of this message series. But this is the 16th installment of this series. Uh, I'll be in 1 Kings chapter 19 if you're one of those people that still have a Bible and uh, do it the old-fashioned way. If not, uh, right over my head will be a Bible. But before I uh, begin, I want to say, uh, you know, next week you already heard the announcement that we're going to have our picnic outside on the playground. Pastor Ryan and his crew have done a great job getting it cleaned up. It looks so nice. We're so appreciative of them. Also, I'm uh, blessed this morning to have all three of my children in church with us this morning. Lovely Alyssa is here from St. Augustine, Florida. We don't often get to see her, much less be in church with her. So her and her husband, Mason, are with us. And what is even crazier is a lot of you don't know who I'm talking about. She grew up in this church. We moved here when she was seven years old. She grew up in this church. And some of you, because we've had such an influx of new people over the years, some of you don't know who I'm talking about when I talk about my daughter Alyssa, which is both grossly crazy and impressive all at the same time. So I'm amazed at, when I think about all the people she doesn't know and doesn't recognize. She could have walked in, well, you can't look at her and not tell that she's not my wife's, but you immediately recognize her as my daughter. But if you don't know her, uh, there's a great many of you that uh, don't know her, uh, her story and, and have not met her, but this is our, our oldest, and she's a blessing in our life, and we appreciate her and Mason for being here. I love you, honey. So I'm going to be preaching this morning on a topic that is going to hit every person in this room. I'm going to be a little raw. I'm going to be a little uh, exposed uh, up here at, before this sermon is over. It's not my uh, general idea to do that. I don't like to be vulnerable. It's not my, uh, my wheelhouse. I'm not comfortable in, in, in being vulnerable. I never have been, and more on that later. I'm going to begin by talking about hearing from God. Hearing from God, because... That is something that a lot of Christians need to learn how to do. And there's a reason I say that, and there's a reason I begin this message with this. There are so many voices in the world today, and most of them are telling you something either that is an outright, bold-faced lie, or it's telling you something that you do not need to give an ear to. There are so many voices that are trying to pull you in so many different directions and none of them are productive for your living. You need to learn how to hear from God. It happened to one of God's greatest prophets. We're going to talk about that in 1 Kings chapter 19. It's a story that you are very well versed with and yet you may have never heard it the way I'm going to preach it this morning. Elijah is running. Why is that significant? Because Elijah had just done the impossible. Elijah has just called down fire from heaven. Elijah defeated 800 prophets of Baal. Elijah had been the man left standing after God showed who was really God. They had a standoff on top of Mount Carmel. There were, there were 400 prophets of Baal up there, and then there were 400 more over in the Acacia Grove. And when God was finished, not a man was standing except his prophet, the man Elijah. And immediately, Elijah gets a, a rumor that Jezebel has put a hit out on him. Jezebel, the queen, has put a bounty on his head. She said, let God kill me by this time tomorrow if you're not dead before the sun goes down. The Bible says Elijah ran. Somebody say he ran. And where did he run? I'm glad you asked. We pick up the story in verse 9. 
There he went into a cave and spent the night. I'm going to talk to you about the view from the back of the cave. Viewing life from the back of the cave. He went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to say it a million and two times this morning. What are you doing here? He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death even with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Say it wasn't the Lord. Uh-huh. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Say it wasn't the Lord. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Say it wasn't the Lord. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Uh-huh. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went and stood at the mouth of the cave. And a voice came to him and asked the question, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Let's look at this man, Elijah. Let's examine what made him go to the back of the cave. He heard a rumor that the enemy was after him. If you miss the beginning of this message, you're going to miss a whole, whole lot. Because I'm going to begin by telling you that some of us, our problem that has driven us to the back of the cave is because we are often listening to what the devil is saying instead of hearing what God is telling us. Most of us sitting in this room and watching by live stream have a cave that we know to run to when things don't work out just the way we want them to. And we always seem to run when the pressure gets turned up, when trouble finds us, or when we hear what the devil has said. The Bible says he heard a rumor that the devil was out to kill him, and instead of facing the devil, he ran from the devil. Now the Bible tells us that he went into that cave alone. I'm going to stop right here. I'm not going to shout and run and dance. It's too hot for that anyway. But I'm going to stop right here and try to plead with a Christian this morning. Sometimes you need to shut off the noise. Sometimes you need to quit listening to so many words. I'm going to put it to you like this. Wouldn't it be cool if our brain had airplane mode? Where you could just flip your switch and stop getting signal from everywhere? Elijah went into this cave and begged God to let him die. Why? Because he's depressed, he's overwhelmed, and he is exhausted. He must have been binge watching Fox News. Or CNN, whatever side you're on, or MSNBC. No wonder we're so overwhelmed. You need to turn off the noise. No wonder we're always depressed and upset. You haven't opened your Bible since the last time I told you to open your Bible. But you know all of the commentators on all of the networks, and you keep up with what somebody's doing and where they're speaking and where they're talking, but you don't know what God is saying. Listen, you have at your disposal a never-ending cycle of depression and anxiety right there in your living room, and you control it with a remote. They feed fear to us in the form of entertainment, and we don't even realize that we're becoming addicted to stuff that is designed to keep you addicted to needing the very thing that is killing you and putting you in a bad state of mind. Be free in the name of Jesus. Turn that mess off so you can hear what God says. Can I tell you that Satan knows exactly when to attack you? 
And it is never Sunday morning while you're sitting in the pew. It is when your guard is down. It is when you are weak and when you are alone. That's why you need to be part of community. But not just any community. You need to be in the right place with the right people at the right time. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to train you. I'm going to give you some life training right now. Are you ready for this? I'm not going to be overly spiritual, but it is spiritual. I'm not going to tell you to fast for 40 days. I'm not going to tell you to speak in tongues, fall out on the floor, or do a Jericho march. You know what God gave him in the cave that was good for his health? He gave him three things. Are you ready for this? It's not what you think. It's not what you think because I, I, you think I'm about to tell you to go get baptized in the Holy Ghost. And the Lord said, I'm not going to do that. You know, what, you know what God gave him? Rest, proper diet, and an assignment. Some of y'all just need something to do. Some of y'all would be better off if you was just a little busier in life. He comes to Elijah and he says this question. What are you doing here? Notice what he says. What are you, he didn't say, why are you running? He didn't even say, why are you hiding? Listen to the question. What are you doing here? Let's reinterpret that. Elijah, this is not where I called you to be. I didn't call you to hide in a cave. I didn't call you to run from your enemies. This is not what I called you to do. What are you doing here? You aren't in the condition that I called you to. You're not in the mindset that I gave you. You're not living in the faith that I have presented to you. What are you doing here? If I wanted to get real good and down in your business, I'd start asking you, why are you living with that person? What are you doing here? Why are you so angry all the time? Why do you let your mind go here? Why are you so faithless? Why do you let your faith get here? What are you doing here? I'm better than this. I can do better than living in this cave. What are you doing here? How did you get here? What happened that drove you so far to the back of that cave? What are you doing here? Do you see how confrontational God was? And the Bible says all these noises, Fox News, CNBC, all of these noises were loud, but they weren't God. Oh, they were boisterous. It was an earthquake. It ripped the mountain in half. It was a tornado. Oh, it was loud, but it wasn't God. When God showed up, he was in a whisper, a still, small voice. Do you know what the difference was? The only thing that changed Elijah's condition was not the earthquake. It wasn't the fire. It wasn't when the rocks were bursting. That didn't change a thing in his life. The loud, the boisterous changed nothing. What changed Elijah's condition was the word of God. The sound of God's voice. So I've got four things that I'm going to teach you this morning to get out of the cave. Before I let you go, I'm going to teach you something that is going to impact every person in this room. But before we do that, let's jump over to Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to skim through this because I'm going to get my four points from here. I'm going to skim over a lot of it because some of it's coming back next Sunday. Say next Sunday. Uh-huh. Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 6, Paul says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, say with thanksgiving, uh-huh, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart. You remember last week when I told you to guard your heart? I told you it was going to come back this week. If you don't guard your heart, there will be all kinds of mess shows up in there. Guard your hearts and your minds, your heart and your mind, your heart and your mind, your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, noble, right, Pure, lovely, 
what's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. And then Paul says something that most of us have never witnessed in our Bible. He says, whatever you have learned or received from me. Learned or received. Learned or received. I'll come back to that in a moment. Learned or received. Whatever you have saw me do, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. If you ask ten different people what causes anxiety, you'll get at least ten or more answers. Because all of us think that anxiety comes from different places. Anxiety is actually an emotion that a person experiences when they have a perceived danger. The reason I say the word perceived is because some dangers is made up. Some of the stuff you anxious about is fiction. You have imagined something is about to happen that don't even happen, and you ruined a lot of your life being anxious over things that never even came to pass. It was imaginary, but it caused you anxiety. A person becomes anxious when they have negative emotions inside that are difficult with, to, for them to deal with. And in many cases, they don't even know they're dealing with it. I'll, I'll give my testimony before this service is over. I can tell you that I lived for a long time without ever realizing I was living with hidden anger. It wasn't hidden to you. It was hidden to me. I thought that's how everybody talked to everybody. I thought you're supposed to snap each other's heads off. That's how you got stuff done. That's how you showed that's how you showed that you was really intense about needing that wood chopped. Was to scream and cuss and swarp and throw things. I thought that's how you communicated in a family. It was a hidden emotion that I was never dealing with. What are you doing here? Look at your neighbor and say, What are you doing here? Just, just ask him, what, what are you doing here? Listen, there are things you got in your life right now you, you operate in and haven't discovered yet. Lust, fear, hatred, unforgiveness, anger, jealousy. We operate in these things, but we haven't discovered yet. Other people see us operating in them, but we haven't discovered yet that we're in that cave. Two of the most dangerous emotions that you have are anxiety and depression. I'm going to give you a very simple definition of both of them. Are you ready for this? Anxiety is when you take tomorrow and make it today. I'm going to say it again. Anxiety is when you take tomorrow and all of its worries and all of its cares and all of its concern and you drag it kicking and screaming and you plant it on today and you worry about tomorrow while today is today. Depression is when you do the same thing in reverse. It's when you take yesterday and you drag its carcass because it's dead and gone and you transpose or superimpose it on today and you make today ruined because of what could have been, should have been, could have been, maybe have been yesterday. Something that is dead and gone and cannot be fixed, cannot be rejuvenated. There is no resurrection for the years you lost. There is no resurrection for the days that you didn't appreciate mom and daddy or your kids being home and spoiled. There's no rejuvenation for that. Stop dragging it and putting it on today because today is worth living. What are you doing here? Some of us are still having emotional catharsis about things that happened in 1987. Part of my day today is ruined because of something that happened to me in 92. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? You want to come out of a cave? Everybody, every person in this room, you know that I have hit home with something I've said already. Are you ready to come out of your cave? 
The view from the back of the cave is not where God wants you. He's coming to every person in this room. He's getting right up in your face, and he's asking the question, what are you doing here? This is not what I called you to. This is not who I wanted you to be. When I wanted you, I called you to another place. What are you doing here? I did not call you to be depressed about yesterday, and I sure didn't call you to be uh, so sad about tomorrow that you dread waking up in the morning. What are you doing here? The life in the back of the cave is not what God's called you to. It's time for us to get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave. Four things. Let's go help us get out of the cave. Number one, learn to pray right. Don't that sound simple? I'm glad you think, think so because it is. What did Paul tell us? He said, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. You know how most of us pray when we're anxious? We pray driven by fear or anger. When we're anxious, our minds aren't set on God. They're set on the situation. So you are situationally play, praying, which causes you to pray out of frustration and out of anger and out of fear. But Paul said pray out of thanksgiving. That changes everything. When you pray right, you come to God and say, God, I'm broke, but thank God I'm still living. God, they don't like me, but thank God I'm the apple of your eye. God, I think the world might be going down the toilet and America's not what it needs to be, but thank God I still got a house to live in. I got a job to go to. I got bread on my table, and you are still on your throne. That's praying right. Number two, and I'm not going to spend any time on this one because this is next week. Think right. You pray right, then you think right. What did he tell us? He said, here's how you think. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is there a good report? Or a news report? Well, they say, that the president, who are they anyway? And why are you running telling that just because they say it? When did you become a mouthpiece for the left or for the right? When did you become a mouthpiece for the president or the ex-president? When did you, you're supposed to be a mouthpiece for the Lord God Almighty. You're supposed to tell what he's. Is there a good report? He said if there be any virtue or if it's praiseworthy. If I can't get praise out of it, it shouldn't be coming off my lips. I'll get to that in a few moments. So you pray right, you think right, coming out of the cave, number three, which will lead you to do right. See, our praying right and thinking right will make us do right. Because our inward attitude dictates our outward actions. You will never change how you behave if you don't first change how you think. I'm going to point you back to a verse that I reiterated uh, to you a while ago, verse 9. He said, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. He said, learned or received. See, learning is head knowledge. Receiving is heart knowledge. So he said, whatever I have showed you, or given to you. Follow my example. And the fourth thing, the fourth thing is you got to say right. Pray right, think right, do right, and say it right. Sometimes you got to testify about your blessing before you see it. I'm going to prove a thing to you. Go over to Isaiah chapter 6. On second thought, you ain't got time to get there. I got Isaiah chapter 6 on the wall behind me. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him there were seraphims. 
each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another. Say calling. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And verse 4 said, at the sound of their At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. My eyes have seen the king, but my lips are unclean. And I didn't realize how unclean my lips was until my eyes saw him. Verse 8, For I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who shall go for us? And he said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. What shook the place, hear me, was a voice. The angels were crying, Holy, 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 and at the sound of a voice, the whole temple shook. And then Isaiah wants to join in. He wants to sing holy. But he realized his lips weren't clean. This praising voice convicted him that bitter and sweet water can't come out of the same well. And he has been unclean with the other words that's been coming out. So praise is out of his bounds. He wants to praise God, but his lips are unclean. And not only are his lips unclean, but he realizes all the folks he runs with. They unclean too. Do you understand the power of words? When God got ready to create, He didn't get a hammer and some nails. He spoke the world into existence. When God got ready to bless Abraham and every generation after him, he spoke a blessing over Abraham. When God got in the garden and saw what Adam and Eve had done, he cursed the world. And he did not do it by putting a hex or a voodoo spell. He spoke a curse over the world and we're still living under it today. Jesus spoke a word and a little boy came to life. Jesus spoke a word and a little girl in the next town over got up and ran down the street. He blessed people with what he said. The Old Testament prophets would curse entire cities just with a word that nobody heard because God had Micah on a mountaintop and he was cursing Israel and Jerusalem from up high and nobody else heard him but he was able to curse them with the words of his lips. Isaiah had unclean lips. He lived with people with unclean lips. Can I tell you that you will never break free from curses and anxiety and depression and fear by holding conversations with the devil every day? You can give the devil marching orders. You can come up here and stomp around this altar, fall out in the spirit, flop around like a fish out of water all you want to. But if you still speak death over yourself and over your mind and over your marriage and over your kids, you are still having a curse over you. In order for us to get out of that cave, we're going to have to learn how to say it right because the curse is hanging over us from what our unclean lips have already said. I'm better than this. What are you doing here? See, if, you, if you're the kind of person that speaks abusive and accusatory and condemning words over yourself and over your family, you use hateful tones and name-calling, you're placing a curse of failure on yourself and on them. I hear people say all the time things that are cursing, I'm so dumb, I hate myself. Stop saying that. You're cursing yourself. 
I hear people say all the time bad things about their marriage. Stop doing it. If you want that marriage to live, you've got to stop cursing it because it, it'll live under whatever you put on it. It is your responsibility to take charge of what is going on in your own life. Stop playing the victim and become accountable for your own choices. I knew my whole amen committee would resign right there. Let me show you an illustration. I'm just going to take my time and teach. Can I just teach for the rest of this time? I'm going to show you a picture. I want you to look closely at it. And I want you to pay attention. Do you have that picture, Kristen? I thought I sent a picture. There it is. Look closely. That's a crab getting caught. Or, as we called it, supper. Do you know what turns a crab into supper? Now, I want you to look. He's, he's being caught on a fish line with bait. But I want you to notice something. There's no hook. Because they have their own hook. Crabs have pinchers, a claw. And the way you catch crabs is not with hooks. You dangle bait in front of the crab the crab grabs hold of the bait and begins to eat and because that crab has such tenacity he wants it so bad all you got to do is start lifting up the line and the crab becomes supper he has this tight grip on what is about to kill him and the crab that gets caught is the crab that won't let go. I just did a whole lot of preaching right there. So I want to ask you, what are you doing here? What things in your life are you holding on to that is dragging you toward your own demise? Are you holding on to a grudge and it's dragging you into the bitterness of your soul? Is a friendship dragging you into bad situations over and over again and bad choices? You in a toxic relationship and it is destroying you, but you just can't imagine living life without them? Did you ever put a label on yourself or let somebody else put one on you that has destroyed your confidence in yourself and now you don't believe you can ever achieve success? You've been hurt by people and now you don't trust anybody? Are you being drugged to become not free but trapped because of unforgiveness or a destructive pattern or a mindset that repeatedly kills your dreams? What are you doing here? It is time for you to let it go. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. You have been sitting in church pews long enough. You have heard me preach and others preach good enough. You have sang enough worship songs long enough. You should have known by now, believer, to let it go. Some of you are sitting here right now looking at me, and you're not even offended, but you are sitting there on top of your grudge. And you don't even recognize that the devil has you and he has caught you, not because he put a hook, but because you holding on to that grudge and you refuse to let go. You don't even recognize how far back in that cave you're living. What are you doing here? This is not what I called you to. I did not call you to come to church on Sunday and your blood pressure to raise when you see somebody and you think that's you normal. Ooh, it got quiet in here. I did not call you to be the kind of Christian that judges everybody. 
has no understanding of anybody, who expects God to give you grace and mercy but don't want to extend it to anybody else and wants to hold on to what they did to you or your family or your kids or your hubby or your wife or your mama or your daddy. Let it go. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? You are way too far back in that cave. I'll show you in a minute why it's so dangerous to live so far back in the cave. A perfect illustration of what happens to somebody that holds on to anxiety and depression and anger. Because whether you realize it or not, Satan's bait is allowing him to destroy your witness, your happiness, your joy, your peace, and your life. And as long as you're determined to hold on, you will never get free. What are you doing here? And all that was necessary for the crab to be free was for them to let go of the bait. The only real thing that hindered them from being free and being supper was their own intense desire to hang on to something that was killing them. James 1 and 14 says each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. It's not what the devil has done to you. It's not what your boss did to you. It's not what mom and daddy didn't do for you. It's your own desire. You want to hold on to that grudge. You want to become angry. I got to protect my babies. I got to protect my family. I got to protect my name. Let it go. It's not up to you to be your defender. He is your... A simple decision to let go brings life. Holding on brings death. Ask the crab. Elijah went and hid in the back of a cave because Jezebel threatened his life. Conflict always makes you move. You're either running toward a solution or away from one. What are you doing hiding here? God said, Elijah, why would you choose to hide in a place that keeps you confined when your calling I put on you is out there? Why, why are you backed up into a cave where you can't even see me? The danger of living so deep in that cave is the wind came, he didn't know if it was God. The earthquake came. He didn't know if it was God. The fire ravaged through. He didn't know if it was God. Why? Because when you're so far back in a cave, you can't see God. When confronted with a need to change, our instinct... I'm just going to get real with you for a minute, okay? When confronted with the need to change, our instinct is to run and hide. I'm, I'm, I'm about to start speaking a healing word over you because I wonder wonder in a in a crowd this size I wonder where where do you hide because make no mistake about it every person in this room has a hiding place some of you hide behind blame every time something goes wrong you don't take responsibility you blame somebody else and you hide there. You say, well, if the kids hadn't have been slow, I wouldn't have been late. What about the other 57 times you... How about, well, if my husband would have treated me better, or if my mother would have raised me... Instead of taking personal responsibility, we hide behind blame. Some of us hide in bottles. Some of us hide in a bottle of pills. Others hide in a bottle of wine. Some of us hide in, in bottles. Some of us hide on the Internet. The relationship we don't have with our wife we find through pornography. And we're hiding there. Some of us hide in eating. Because while eating is necessary to sustain life, some of us do it because we eat our emotions. Some of us hide through fake spirituality. 
We come to church on Sunday so we can fit in. We act a fool for Jesus. While the rest of the week we acting a fool for somebody. Some of us, some of us hide behind overachievement. We are constantly trying to get to the next level of success because we need approval from other people. I need another certificate. I need another promotion. I need another degree. I need somebody else to recognize me. That's also the reason some of us make 97 posts a day because we need somebody to like it. We need somebody to give us accolades. We need to put on there something about I look so ugly so they'll tell us we look so pretty to make us feel affirmed. And you don't realize that that's not the first picture you took, but you took 97 with 92 different filters from all these different angles. And you got to get, and you got to put the camera up on the mountain you got to run 37 miles away to get a good but we're hiding behind overachievement some of us hide behind criticism never pleased with anything and we want to criticize everybody else because we're not happy with who we are some of us hide behind low expectations if you don't ever expect anything you won't ever be disappointed. But sometimes you put those low expectations on ourselves. And then, like Elijah, we just naturally assume that the devil's going to kill us. And we can't do nothing about it. And so, when the devil tells us that he's after us, instead of going after the devil, we run into the cave where we can't even see God no more. And nobody should expect anything from me because I can't help. I have too low of expectations. And if you don't tell anybody you will assist them, you don't worry about letting them down. What are you doing here? What do you know about it, Pastor? You're so happy and have such a perfect life and don't have any problems I am remarkably just like you I say remarkably because most people don't realize where I hide it got quiet in here Every ear suddenly wanted to hear what pastor was saying. Y'all ignored me all morning. Now everybody's like, huh? Y'all heard two things I said. Y'all heard pornography and then this. I have battled depression my entire life. And most people don't believe that, don't know that to look from the outside at me. It's not perceivable most of the time. As far back as elementary school at Montcalm, I can remember struggling with depression. But back then, they didn't say you were depressed. They just said, that's a sad kid. And it has always been a place that I have had to run and hide behind or in caves. And the caves I chose to hide in was caves of anger and criticism and cynicism. I would hide in those caves because when you hurt on the inside, and don't know how to deal with what's going on inside of you it makes you lash out at folks and those are the caves what are you doing here 1973 I was the surprise child of two people who were already on their second marriage and had all kinds of kids themselves and was not asking for another one I was told multiple times in my childhood that I was not expected or really wanted my father was a violent, angry, narcissistic, sociopathic maniac who nearly beat us to death on more than one occasion. Today he'd be in jail, but back then they just called it uh, whoopings. He hit us with things like not just belts and switches like is the norm, but with like shovels and bricks and threw us out windows and drug us through houses with our, by the hair of our head and I was born into a home full of sexual perversion, sexual abuse. It was thrust on me at a very early age, and I, I hid in caves to get away from things that I frankly didn't even know I had inside of me. 
My father was so easily angered that when I was very young, I realized that in order to survive and not become beaten, the best thing for me to do was to keep my mouth shut, stay out of his way, and minimize my feelings. He would beat me and then beat me for crying about it. Say things like, quit that sniveling, I'll give you something to cry about. You're the reason I'm crying now. That 14 minutes of beating me through the yard is why I'm crying. But I learned to minimize my own emotions. But the problem with that is, if you do that long enough, your feelings begin to atrophy to the point where you are now incapable of having feelings any longer. To say I have low self-esteem is not entirely accurate I really have no self-esteem if you meet me at the back of this room and tell me I did a good job preaching this morning I do not have the emotional scaffolding to hold on to that compliment I appreciate you giving me the compliment but I can't hold on to it I want you to understand who you're dealing with in front of this room because I want you to know I'm one of you it it makes me I don't naturally have the ability for good vibes I'm not one of these people that wakes up every day it's a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. Good things are coming my way. I'm not that person. Although I wake up with energy, I like morning. I, I like morning, but I don't wake up with a smile because I'm not naturally inclined for good vibes or positive feelings. Let me tell you what that does to me. It makes me incredibly cynical. I always expect people to do the worst possible thing that they can do to me, which causes me to keep almost everyone in my life at a distance. I don't trust folks very easily. Some of you, just in the past year and a half, discovered social distancing. Some of us have been doing it our whole life. Depression feels like you're wearing a weighted vest and walking through life with it on. It affects how I feel. It affects how I treat people. And it affects how people see me. And they see me as hard, cold, condescending. People tell me all the time, Pastor looks angry all the time. I have what my family uh, refers to as a resting Grinch face. I get asked all the time, what you mad about? I ain't mad. You look mad. This is what God gave me to work with. Apologize profusely, only one I have. I'm not angry, I just look angry and people perceive me as angry and aloof and I don't connect very easily. I struggle to connect in relationships. But the thing about hiding places like depression and anxiety is that other folks can't see them. So they invalidate them because you can't prove to them you feel that way. If I was in a car accident and lost my arm, you would see I lost my arm and you would have sympathy for me. And you would say, wow, it's terrible that Pastor lost his arm. But when I tell you I'm depressed, you say something snide like, we'll get over it. The joy of the Lord should be your strength. And I know all those things. But I also know what the cave looks like. I also know that when you don't know how to handle what's in here, you don't know how to handle what's out here. And 2020 did things to people. And people are meaner now. And they've got a shorter fuse now. Because they got shoved into caves by themselves. And they had never really examined what was going on on the inside of them. And they came face to face with stuff that they had been hiding for years. And now they don't know how to handle it. And when they came out of the cave, you was the first thing that they saw, and they hit you with both. And they don't, things have changed because of the internal workings of humanity. But here's what I want to say about all that. I didn't, I didn't bring you up here to, to make you feel bad about me. These are the characteristics that God knew I had when he called me to preach the gospel.
What was he thinking? Listen, listen. This didn't take God by surprise. He knew me. Bible says before I was formed in my mother's womb, he knew me. Before that surprise accident to the Mitchams happened in my mother's womb, he already knew that I was going to be a surprise accident to them, but I was well planned by him. And when I came forth, he knew what I was made of. And when he touched my life and anointed my mouth and told me to go and preach and to be a pastor, he knew what he was getting. And this is why we have to learn how to release. You've got to learn how to release the frustration and release the anger and release the fear and release the worry and release all the wounds because you cannot receive the word into a wounded heart. The Bible says he sent his word and healed them. He wants to heal you, but you've got to let that wounded heart open up to receive the word. And if we're honest this morning, most of us are a lot better at preaching at other people than we are receiving. We have to admit this morning that we are terrible at receiving what we pray other folks to get. Because we're stubborn. And we don't like to act like we need any help. But our weaknesses are not a curse. We don't have to be ashamed of them. Because God's not. He knows exactly what you're hiding. That's why he gets in your face about it and says, What are you doing here? He left you in 1989 and you're still mad about it. What are you doing here? The kids are grown, got their own kids. Their kids got kids and you're still lamenting over when they were so little and I used to hold them and squeeze them and pet them and kiss their snuggy, moogie, moogie faces. And you are emotionally crippled from something that happened 27. The natural course of life when you had them youngins. You knew they was going to grow up. Some of us prayed that they would grow up. And you knew it. Did you honestly think God was going to make an exception, do a Benjamin Button in your life and let them kids just grow up and then come back home? I'm not speaking that over my life. Lord, I did not speak that over my life. My kids are... I'm glad my kids are grown. Hannah, almost there. I'm glad my kids are grown. I appreciate them at every age. I'm thankful I don't have to change no more diapers. Praise Jesus and hallelujah. When Hannah was little, like her older sister, she had a blanket that she carried all the time. Hannah's the only kid I ever met that played hide-and-go-seek with me, but she never left the couch. Because Hannah had a blanket that she carried all the time. And she would say, Daddy, I'm going to go hide. You count. And I would count to ten. And when I'd open my eyes, this is what I'd see. Over at the other end of the couch. She'd be laying real still. And I'd have to act like, where's Hannah? Hey, Mommy, can you help me find Hannah? She thought if she couldn't see me, I couldn't see her. And some of us act the same way with God. So we run into them caves, and because we can't see God from where we're hiding, we think God can't see us either. But can I tell some sister here this morning that has been in the cave way too long, God sees you, he knows exactly where you are, and he's asking you to come out. Can I tell some brother here this morning that you have been hiding in that cave way too long, he sees you, he knows exactly where you are, and it is time for you to come out. God is not ashamed of your defaults. He is not ashamed of your defects. He is not hurt by your imbalances. He has seen you every time your faith has bottomed down. He has heard you. When you cuss somebody out he has been there when your heart has broken when you have cussed God when you have cursed other people when you have asked God to let you die and ran into the cave God knows exactly where you are and he's standing at the cave right now saying won't you come to me come out come out wherever you are 
stand with me all over this room if you would. He sees your shortcomings. What are you hiding from? He sees your lack of faith. What are you hiding from? What are you doing here? He sees the heartbreak. What are you doing here? He knew you were depressed. He calls you anyway. He knew that you were codependent, and he called you anyway. He, caught, he knew that you were naturally inclined to run in fear than to stand and fight. You're a whole lot more Elijah than you are David, and he called you anyway. What are you doing here? Right now, I'm prophesying to somebody that healing is coming. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I have waited weeks to get this word out of me. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for God to let me release this word because I knew somebody was hiding in a cave. And God was sending me to be the messenger, confronting you with it this morning. What are you doing here the plant closed down you lost your job what are you doing here the pastor left and you've never gotten over it what are you doing here they packed their bags and they left you and they said they were never coming back and they divorced and they moved on with their life and you are still stuck what are you doing You got saved there. You got baptized in the Holy Ghost there. All your friends was there. You had, to, you had all the, 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 the time of your life. And that, I was just, just talking with somebody. That can't, they've never gotten over the church that they used to go to. It's never, it's never been the same. What are you doing here? Is the same God now, not the God then? Is, is God stuck in a building and on a corner? He, he never got past where, what he used to have. I said, find God again. Find him right where you are. What are you doing Some of you, some teacher called you stupid. Your whole life you've believed you're an underachiever. You can't, you can't learn. You can't read good. You don't speak well. God can't use somebody like you. What are you doing here? Some of you went to jail. You got a sketchy past. You've got problems that you don't hope anybody finds out. What do you, now you don't think God can use you now because you was a drug addict or because you went to prison or... And now you just stand back in that cave and hide because you hope nobody finds out. What are you hiding for? God knows where you are. He knows what you did, and He called you anyway. And He's saying, come out, come out. You're hoping people, you're hoping folks, you're afraid of Jezebel. You're hiding in a cave from people. When God let fire fall and burned up your enemies in your face, he already knows what you did. He knows your shortcomings. He knows your sins. He knows your flaws, your faults, and all your dysfunctions. And He called you anyway. What are you doing here? Get up out of that cave. I'm surprised some of you ain't got out of that chair and got to this altar right now because somebody's somebody I'm not going to quit preaching this word until somebody comes out of that cave. I have wrestled with this thing, prayed over this thing, and fought the devil too long myself to deliver this word this morning for somebody not to get out of their cave and get to this altar. And I, I frankly, I, I listen, the deliverance is already here. I don't know what you're waiting on. You're afraid somebody's going to see you. Who? Why are you running from Jezebel? God is standing at the mouth of the cave saying, what are you doing here? Get out of that cave and come out to where this still, small voice is directing. It's not my voice that I want you to hear this morning. It's the still, small voice of God that is saying, what are you doing
Where are my cave dwellers at? Some of you still hiding in the back of that cave and you can't see God from where you are. Get out here where you can see the Lord. What are you doing here? It's not where I called you to be. This is not what I wanted for you. This is not who I wanted you to become. What are you doing here? I got some Stephen ministers, some staff, some of the prayer team. If you could make your way up here, if you're not in the altar, pray and listen. If you're in the altar, pray and pray away. But if if your staff or on the prayer team or Stephen minister, would you mind coming up here and helping some of these pray? They've come out. They're going to meet God here. Shit, blah, blah, blah.